0: Blockbuster guys are there in their fancy shoes and their expensive sport coats. Yeah. And I'm there in a t shirt. And Reed's there in a Hawaiian shirt.
1: Yeah. Were and you we're, cold? Was the AC going like they do in all those conference rooms? Of course. it was Texas. They're chilling. Of course, yeah. of
0: course yeah. it was. That's right. They're really the chill on us.
1: What is good, everybody? This is your host, Michael Sakan, the founder and CEO of Our Future. We are the go to business podcast and media brand for young people, producing the best business interview content for the next generation. I have a mega, 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 mega guest for you today, and that is Mark Randolph, the co-founder of Netflix, who with his co-founder, Reed Hastings, disrupted an entire industry. It's, it's definitely one of the best and most exciting entrepreneurship stories of the 21st century. I mean, it is just the a lesson in disruption, and Mark tells us uh, some great knowledge today about the early days of Netflix, way before it was a household name, and it's a fascinating conversation. Since leaving Netflix in 2003, Mark has been involved with a number of very successful businesses, including Chubby Shorts and Looker, which was acquired by Google for upwards of $2 billion. And you'll notice this interview is a little bit longer than our typical length. The reason being is we added an underrated, overrated section at the end, where Mark weighs in on all the hottest business trends. You'll definitely wanna stick around. All right, let's get into it. When you were my age, when you were 21 years old or 20 years old, what did you envision yourself doing because I, I would assume that you did not see yourself becoming a massive technology founder and investor. Well, where were, where was your mind at?
0: Well, I mean, first of all, you know, I wasn't spending a lot of time envisioning what I was going to be doing. I, I wasn't that obsessed with it. And I do notice that people these days your age, in my opinion, spend way too much time worrying about what am I going to do? And, you know, the number of people who actually have some clarity about what they want to do when they're 21 and end up actually doing it, it's extremely small. You know, I I guess if I was lucky, I might have been one of those people who, when they were seven, go, I want to be a veterinarian with this complete confidence. And then, of course, lo and behold, you know, 20 years later, they're a veterinarian. But boy, most of us aren't like that. And I certainly wasn't like that um, either. So. I guess the quick answer is, you know, what, what what year are you in school? What, how I'm old a, is- t- I'm a junior.
1: Pardon? I'm a junior in college, uh, yeah, business what, who, the,
0: who the fuck knows what you want to be when you're a junior? <laughs> I mean, at <laughs> least I didn't. Um, even when I graduated, I didn't. I was a geology major of all things. So, and That's I, what I was going to say. <laughs> and I a geology knew, major. Yeah, and I knew for a fact that I wasn't going to be a geologist. So- but it was—I was a liberal arts student, you know. So I wasn't like I had a BS in geology; I had a BA in geology. So it was purely because I like going on the field trips,
1: right? So do you have a do you have a favorite rock? You have a favorite? <laughs> you got a favorite kind of crystal or something?
0: Oh yeah, Intercorsite. Okay, it's just another fucking rock.
1: No, yeah. well, unless there's one you like. Um, so that, that's crazy. I mean, it confirms my hypothesis or kind of what I've learned. It's you know 95 percent of my guests said they did not know. A few do. A few did know that they, when they were you know in middle school they were going to go do this and they did it, which is fantastic. Mostly the Hollywood guys, which is funny because it's the, the Netflix connection. I'm not a Hollywood. I'm not a Hollywood guy. Yeah, you're not, I know you're a Silicon Valley guy. Yeah, you're still, you're you're a you're a tech tech guy. So let's go to the early conversations about Netflix with your co-founder Reed. Hastings. You know, the, the legend has it that, uh, you know, he was on the treadmill thinking about this, some kind of blockbuster Apollo late fee. Could you take us back? And when did you have that first conversation, that first inkling of this is maybe something that we're going to do?
0: So we are, everyone kind of wants to have that moment of clarity where all of a sudden the idea is clear and we know what we're gonna do. And of course, uh, I, I don't believe any company ever is like that where the idea that the founder may have had ends up being what the company did, nor do I believe these things appear fully formed in a dream. And so Netflix was no different. This was not like Reed, Hastings, and I were video people that we were spending time in our commute back and forth arguing about who were the best French directors or anything like that. Um, I was a direct marketing guy, you know, for 15 years before I got to Silicon Valley. So when it became apparent that I wanted to start another company, my sole criteria was I wanted it to be e-commerce. Uh, I wanted it to involved, involve involved deep personalization and maybe even use subscription because I had done a lot of work in the subscription business uh, doing magazine circulation and right, right. catalogs and things like that. So when Reed and I both were going to lose our jobs and we were going to start another company and I was going to run it and he was going to fund it, uh, we had to come up with the idea um, and we brainstormed all kinds of things. Um, really we, you know, one of the, one of the ideas was um personalized shampoo uh where i pitched it to read where you cut off a lock of your hair and you mail it to us and our team of hair scientists formulate the perfect blend just for you and you subscribe to it and we argued it's about like that birch Reed
1: box yeah, i think could, maybe you were a few years earlier maybe i think it could have oh. worked though
0: Maybe. May and in fact, I think they do probably have prescription shan- prescription subscription shampoo. Another one was a uh, custom dog food where you formulate a blend exactly for your pet, for the climate, you know, activity level, gender, <laughs> whatever. Um, and <clears throat> that idea wasn't so good. And then so we pitched another one, which was video rental by mail. Uh, but that wasn't very good because this was back in 1996, 97. And uh, if you you may recall, you were probably just about the age. Let's see if I can Good. pick this up in a way that actually makes it seem like it works. 100%. Um, so this is back like in 1996, 97. And back then, you know, video came on those VHS cassettes. And so even the video rental by mail idea wasn't going to work. And so the breakthrough was not because of some anguish over a late fee in a movie. The late fee was when we heard about this technology called the DVD, which was this little thin and light plastic disc that had a movie on it. Um, and we realized this actually might dust off that old uh, idea we had had a few months ago for the video rental by mail. Um, and so... Um, we did the thing that a classic entrepreneur would do, is which is not rush in and work in the business plan or start putting together the pitch deck. We just immediately said, I wonder if this actually might work. And so we drove back down to Santa Cruz and uh, couldn't find a DVD. So we settled for buying a used music CD got it. and then bought a little envelope and put the CD in the envelope and mailed it to Reed's house. And it got to his house in less than 24 hours for the price of a first class stamp. And that, if, if there was an inciting moment, as they say in screenwriter speak, that was,
1: that was probably it. Before we keep rocking, a quick word from our sponsor, Verb Energy. In 2015, three college kids at Yale decided they want to combine coffee and snack bars. So they created Verb Energy Bars, which have just 90 calories and have 65 milligrams of caffeine in an energy bar. It's awesome. It's a food product that gets you as buzzed as coffee, and it gives you all that good energy. There's no crash, there's no jitters, because it's all green tea. Now, you, the listener, can get a whole starter pack of Verb Energy for just $12. That's 50% off if you click the link in the description of this podcast or go to verbenergy.com slash our future. The flavors are delicious, like double chocolate and vanilla latte, which is my personal favorite, and you can go to the link in the description to get those bars. If you want to learn more, the founders of Verb appear on episode number 111. So go back and listen to the story if you're a huge CPG fan. Okay, back to the show. So you knew it could be done cheaply and effectively, and that's what made you want to go in on it. Well, yeah, we were just
0: looking for an idea that might work. We had this, it, this, is the, it, this is not like all of a sudden the apple falls in your head and you go gravity or, you know, it, or it, it, these are ideas that come to shape with many, many influences over a lot of time. And we had all these dorky criteria. And like I said, I wanted it to have the, you'd be selling on the Internet. I wanted it to have deep personalization, ideally subscription. But I also wanted it to have a defensible business model, which I wanted it to have um, uh, high margins. I wanted it to be in a big enough category that I could mess up. I wanted to have a competitor uh, that people hated. Um, and. Not all those things are achievable, but you're kind of have this list of criteria and you're brainstorming through hundreds of ideas and you never get to the point where you know it's going to work because if you knew it was going to work, someone would have done it already. So all of them have flaws. All of them have huge uncertainty. And at some point, especially 22 years ago, you go, there's no way to figure this out easily. The only way to figure it out is to do it. Um, and so you jump right in. Um, and only after you launch do you realize how flawed the idea was. But that's the fun. That's the nature. Uh, that's what, in my opinion, makes it exciting to be an entrepreneur.
1: 100%. I love that. I absolutely love it. I like how you say you wanted a competitor. Everybody hated You know, every uh, good story has a villain. And I think that was a core <laughs> part of the Netflix narrative for sure. And, and in terms of the name Netflix, did that come... How many months into the process did that come about? Do, do, do you remember?
0: Well, pretty late. Um, and the thing is, you know, but when you start, the minute that you raise any money and the minute you've got to lease an office and begin paying people, you need a name. And you don't want the pressure of deciding what your company name is that early because you're not quite sure you haven't done the research or thought about it. And so you have a beta name. And. And one of our, one of my kind of early mentors had had given me this great advice. And he said, when you pick your um, beta name, you want to pick something so bad that when you finally get to the point where you have to pick your real name and you're having all kinds of struggles, you can't find the domain name, you can't find the trademark, you can't find, you can't get it to work, that you're not tempted to use the beta name. So our beta name was kibble, kibble kibble.com. And that's what we used for the first five months. Uh, in fact, I still own kibble.com.
1: You do, okay. Yeah, so you, you can get in the pet food business.
0: Send Maybe an email to marketkibble.com and I will get it. Um, but we then said, okay, it's, we need a name. So about a month away from lunch, we all began sitting around brainstorming what the name could be. And we basically had a whiteboard and one column were uh, names evocative of the internet and the other column were names evocative of movies or video or rental and we began kind of drawing diagonal lines between them and seeing what sounded good and then i'd rush back and i'd do all the research you know and, oh this is taken oh someone's done that um, oh i can't get the trademark oh this means something obscene in lithuanian you know so and we and and quite frankly people didn't like netflix um Again, before your time, but back in the day, a nickname for a porno was a skin flick or plural was skin flicks. Uh, and so people are going, we can't call it Netflix. It just sounds like it's a porno company. And that big X didn't help anything either. No, it didn't. But it was originally CKS, right? no it was all, it was always x it was always an x got it yeah got it. I, I mean i went once but and listen so we go okay we don't like it but it's a little bit porny but you know netflix it is and then you go out and you buy every possible derivative misspelling .org .gov .edu uh, that you can and so we do i think we did or do own cks but no from day one we were gotcha netflix netflix.com
1: wow. That's so. That's so funny that you guys weren't even in love with it, but I mean now it's such a, you know, it's obviously a household name. Um, so you guys did this business. You dove into it. Um, originally, it wasn't as focused on rental and subscription. Then it became more focused on that. And you're making it work. And then the whole world stops with the dot com bust. Um, and you guys were like, okay, well we've got to, you know, do a, the strategic option you refer to it as. You know, we got to sell the we got to think about selling the business, right? Right. Right. Um, so you, where were you when you decided that you need to sell the business? You wanted to get in touch with Blockbuster. Um, yeah. So, so at the time, to- so we we
0: we we kind of knew that was the obvious person to sell it to. It was a natural sale because there was all kinds of synergies between the two businesses. Sure. But it took us about took us months uh, to get them to even pay attention to us, to even the answer an email or like really? you know call us back. But and the place we were when they finally called back, we were on a retreat at a place called the Alisol Ranch, which is in the foothills outside of Santa Barbara. Um, And it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, And that, of course, is when they call and say, we'll meet you. And then they say, we'll meet you tomorrow in Dallas. Um, And we're thinking to ourselves, there's just no way we can get to Dallas by tomorrow morning. So we were broke, but we still managed to scratch enough together to lease a corporate jet. Because go, this is the last gasp, and to get to a, to right. Dallas to pitch right. this thing, but because we were at a retreat, you know, I, I, I didn't have anything with me. I had shorts and I had flip flops and I had a t shirt, um, and so when <laughs> we we showed up at the blockbuster headquarters, this huge, you know, twenty seven story glass and steel skyscraper, and get ushered into this massive conference room, wow. with a huge, you know, gleaming endangered hardwood conference table and those guys are yeah. blockbuster guys are there in their fancy shoes and their expensive sport coats yeah. and i'm there in a t-shirt and reed's there in a hawaiian shirt so it was uh, we were mismatched from the very beginning
1: yeah were and you we're, cold was the ac going like they do in all those conference rooms you know, of course it
0: was texas they're chilling of course, yeah of course yeah. it was that's right they're putting the chill on us
1: they put the chill on you yeah <laughs>
0: yeah um But anyway, so we make the pitch, um, you know, that we'll run the stores we run the online business. They'll run the stores and we'll find all these ways to do a blended model and it would be a huge success, or at least so we pitched it Um, and it was going great until they asked us what they thought should be paid. And we'd rehearsed this in the plane. Uh, We were $50 million in the hole at the time. And so we go, this is perfect. We can pay everyone back and wait, $50 million. And they basically laughed at us. I mean, at the hubris that we could possibly think we were worth $50 million when the dot com bust was there. How big were were you by then, though? How how many uh, subscribers did the company have? Oh, gosh, probably 30,000. Okay, (laughs) Something like that. Still impressive. No, well, yeah, I guess so. Um, The thing that was happening was that we had finally figured it out. I mean, it took us a year and a half. It took us from April of 98 until the fall of 2000 um, to finally come up with a business model which worked, which was this mm-hmm. no due dates, no late fees, subscriptions, all you can eat um, business. Yeah. But the problem is with subscription businesses is you pay all your acquisition costs up front um, and you recover it over time. And because it was just a confusing model, we were giving away our first month free, so, ironically, because this was so incredibly successful, customers were flooding in. And because of that, cash was flooding out. Yeah. So, it, we were going basically going broke, so you, being successful.
1: You were really hoping you'd make it out on the other end of that upfront cost, right?
0: Yeah. In fact, if you have the money they'd love to fund the acquisition, I mean, you basically can go to the VCs and go, listen, I built this machine. It's incredible. You put a dollar in and you turn the crank. And in a year, out comes $10. Right. But that only works as long as someone's p- pumping the dollar bills in at the beginning. Gotcha. And as soon as the dot-com bubble burst, nobody was willing to do that.
1: Yeah. That's a question I think a lot of entrepreneurs think about. You know, if I get a customer, what will they be worth over the long term? And I think it's true in media and podcasting as well. Um, you, personalization was always key to you. And, and if you just think about how Netflix has evolved now. It's just so algorithmically driven. Um, but algorithms weren't like really that big of a thing, right? When you were starting off Netflix, but you created one called Cinematch. I think it was, how how did you do that without the tools and the cookies and the, you know, how did you do it
0: without modern tech? Well, we we, we were on this from the beginning and we kind of knew that. We couldn't build a business which was around just shipping DVDs because that would eventually go away. We couldn't build a business that was around streaming because that was in years in the future. And we had to build it on something which was basically delivery agnostic. And so the positioning from day one was Netflix is going to be about discovering great stories. Um, And you had to make that real. And at the beginning, making it real was basically making sure you have a copy of every single DVD available, all 970 of them. Then it goes, okay, we need to have deep content. We've got to have a lot of decision-making tools for people. And then we've got to get good at predicting taste. And that ended up being the, uh, the chase that we were on for years. And it was, you're right. But the thing is, you know, listen, partnerships um, usually come with people with uh, uh, conf- contrasting skill sets. You know, when I came in, I'm a marketing person. But Reed, you know, he's a mathematician, he was a computer scientist. And so he was able to really envision how this might work, that you actually could build a system to learn and predict what somebody might like. And we realized that once we did that, we would truly have an ability to attract and retain people that was unlike anything that Blockbuster uh, could ever come up with.
1: Wow, amazing, amazing. So you left Netflix in 2002. Um, yeah. You were more interested in the, the startup-y phase. You know, it was well past the IPO. And you've been involved with a ton of businesses. You're, uh, you're an investor in Looker, which got a huge exit with Google, making data kind of sexier and easier to understand. Um, if you could look back and just briefly, because we do want to get to our last segment, um, what's your one big piece of career advice to a young entrepreneur or a young professional, a college student right now? What would you tell them?
0: Well, I'd say if you have even an inkling that you, you want to be an entrepreneur, then start now. That the, every minute you wait, it gets harder, not easier. It's not like, oh, it'll be easier once I graduate. That's not true. you will get it easier if I have a computer science degree. Not true. If I have an MBA, if I can raise money, if I have a partner, blah, blah, blah. If you really want to do it, freaking do it. Um, and do it now when you basically have your life taken care of for you. Do it now while you have the resources to try things. I mean, you have to scale what you're trying to your uh, circumstances. But entrepreneurship is not some, something that you learn by reading it in a book or watching it on TV or taking classes. Entrepreneurship is what you learn by doing it. And so you've got to say, I'm going to start doing something. I'm going to sell something. I'm going to build something. I'm going to make something. I'm going to test something, I'm going to try something. Um, and the cleverness of being a great entrepreneur is how do I figure out ways to build, test, try, sell, they're simple and easy and quick. The most clever people are not how many great ideas they come up with, it's how clever they can be about figuring out ways to collide those ideas with the reality right now. Right.
1: And how, how scrappy, I mean, going and like putting the DVD in the envelope, figuring out it can work, going and doing it. Uh, cheap and effectively. So uh, very, very sage piece of advice right there. So now we're going to get to our final segment, which is underrated or overrated. And Elliot, come on the, come on the camera and we're going to run through the segment real quick before in our last few minutes of the podcast. Great. All right. So we're going to give you one topic and you're going to give a one sentence reply as to why you think it's either underrated or overrated. Okay. So the first thing we're starting with is Bitcoin.
0: Uh, overrated. I mean, I think it's exceptionally hypey. So, certainly, uh, I think right now it's a speculative vehicle. I don't think it's established a fundamental value. There's no real reason why it's worth 62,000 or 55,000 or whatever the, whatever the hell it is. And I think, um, things need to have both. Uh, there's my sentence NFTs. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Right now, overrated. Uh, Again, it's being overrated because it's it's being considered a speculative vehicle. Uh, But uh, it's underrated in that it truly does have potential and certainly will be a long range, very, very interesting category for people who are in the creative arts. But right now, we're so early that to think that um, the valuations you're seeing reflect anything close to reality, in my opinion, is ridiculous.
1: Okay, uh, Amazon. Underrated. think uh, so. Rem-
0: absolutely remarkably um, uh, powerful, successful company. Uh, thinks like a startup. Uh, n- understands how to take a very, very long term view. Uh, courage to enter markets that no one else is willing to enter. Uh, definitely a one to watch.
1: Electric cars.
0: Oh, uh, uh, uh underrated. I mean, I heard I've I've been driving an electric car for a long time now. It's unbelievable. Uh, And I'm not a car guy. Uh, I'm a gadget guy. And this is like basically a really fancy gadget. And I I was listening to a podcast whose sponsor was GE, who's running these ads saying, the start of the electric They go, what? You're like five years late, 10 years late. And you're now saying, we're the start of the electric car movement. So no, I think uh, everyone, it's like streaming. You know, in the last 18 months, everyone is doing it. And Netflix did it by themselves since 2007. And now all of a sudden, everyone's acknowledging no, in not too many years, they're going to stop making uh, internal combustion cars and it's all going to be electric. So it's still underrated.
1: Uh, Avocado toast.
0: Avocado toast? Oh, hugely underrated. I like I, I spent a, I used to spend a pre-COVID, spent a ton of time in Australia. And then that's my breakfast every morning. And they have they have 50 different ways to make it amazing. And I could eat it every single day for every time I'm there. And now you go to a restaurant, and you can barely. It's, I mean, you can find it, but it's not like ubiquitous. And it should. Sure. Be.
1: It should be. Yeah. All right. Silicon Valley.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs>
1: Everyone's point. going to Miami.
0: Yeah, that's bullshit, too, though. Uh, no, it's uh, Silicon Valley is appropriately rated. I'll, I'll split the difference. Okay, uh, it is not dead by any means. It is still a hotbed of innovation. Uh, you have a concentration of innovative people, unlike any place else in the world, and there's that's an incredibly powerful force. I mean, I challenge you if you're a young person and you go out to have drinks in Miami. You're going to have around the table. You're going to have a lawyer, and you're going to have a doctor, and you're going to have a banker. And maybe you have two entrepreneurs rather than just one like in most cities. But you go out to drinks in San Francisco, you've got nine entrepreneurs around the table. And that just is such a rapid iteration of idea flow, validation, hacking, um, what's happening, how to hire, where you can get a job. You don't find any place else. And uh, last thing is um, Clubhouse. Underrated. Um, I I think it's a pretty remarkable, um, pretty remarkable innovation in social media, which uh, people have um, been looking for innovations in social media. I mean, you know know how many startups there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And this one is breaking through because it had to take a very, very basic approach. The question will be whether they can uh, maintain that lead once everyone else jumps in the bandwagon and basically uh, does a Facebook on it and does a uh, Google on it.
1: And the last thing ever, you do a podcast. It's awesome, it's called That Will Never Work. Um, why should uh, maybe a young person, um, why should they listen to it?
0: So I you know, on my podcast, listen, I could have attracted all kinds of my good friends who are all successful entrepreneurs and interviewed them, but but that's being done. And you guys do it so much better than I could ever do it. Um, and so I'm just doing something I've done for years and years and years, which is you know I coach early stage entrepreneurs. I mean, for the last 20 years, I do two or three calls a week where I get on the phone with someone for an hour and help them work through their idea, encourage them or discourage them or give them some hard love or give them a different way to think about it. And what's different is about a year ago, I said, I'm going to start taping these calls. And I played some back for people and they're going, these are actually Great, I mean, for one, it's fantastic hearing that other people are having the same problems, but it's also really cool being a fly on the wall, hearing someone who's helping to coach them through these things, who's been there, who's done it, who's built two multi-billion dollar companies. Um, And so I've decided, okay, I'm gonna get good at this now. And I've really tried to refine the thing, but at its heart, it's just me talking to early stage entrepreneurs and doing my best to help them get the same breaks that I do and letting people listen in, and it's 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 fun. It's called that will never work. The podcast, available, you know, as they say, at Apple, on Spotify, on any place you get your podcasts.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, that was Mark Randolph, the co-founder of Netflix, sharing some insane entrepreneurship wisdom on the podcast. I'm so lucky to have had the chance to interview him. I just wanna ask you guys, if you'll please leave our future, a review on Apple Podcasts takes less than 60 seconds and really helps the show grow beyond the credibility we get from getting massive guests like Mark. Anyways, I really hope you enjoyed this show. It was a blast. Remember that these interviews are now on YouTube. Remember to subscribe to our newsletter, be following us on social channels. And the last thing is to stay frosty, everybody. Peace out.